This is the Spur Leadership Podcast, number 21. Four consecutive appearances in the NCAA college football playoffs. Six conference championships on the way to two national championships. The winningest college football program over the last 10 years. When Dabo Swinney was named interim head football coach at Clemson University, he was the wide receivers coach, assistant head coach, and recruiting coordinator. His infectious attitude and enthusiasm can sometimes camouflage a passionate commitment to detail and doing the little things right every day. Recently, Mike Ward and I had the opportunity to sit down with Dabo at the Clemson football facility and discuss the culture that is Clemson football. Here is that conversation. You know, that you've had so much success here, and I think so many people who will be watching this later on are going to go, well, well, yeah, national championship, final four, that's just kind of how, you ha- how, it, how it goes at Clemson now. I want to I go back to 2009 when you first get the job as the head coach, but even more specifically and a little more granular, take us back to when Coach Bowden offers to resign halfway through the season. Yeah. You're the wide receivers coach and the recruiting coordinator, right? I was the assistant head coach okay. and uh, receivers coach. What's going through your mind when you hear that? Well, it's kind of crazy. It's interesting you, you start there because uh, we're in spring practice right now and and I am going through the process with this team, Team 125. I'm trying to, we're on a history lesson. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason for that is is we're starting a new decade. And, and we're at a whole different starting point this decade, I'm call, which I'm calling the Roaring Twenties, uh, is upon good. us. Yeah. It's a whole different starting point this decade than where we were back in 2010 and, and starting that decade. And, uh, and, and nine was my first full season, kind of, kind of transition in there. Because I want this team to have a, a, a true, it's hard to appreciate something if you don't know the history of it. Yeah and understand the DNA of it. And uh, so I'm trying to get this team because if I ask, you know, some of these kids that just got here, they were six or seven <laughs> years old at that time. Right. And so they, as they've grown up, like this is, this, is, this is the version of Clemson that they know. This is their normal And you're like, well, you Clemson. know, we only won six games in 2010. And they're like, what? I mean, that, I mean they, they can't imagine that. Right. But based on where we are now. And, but, I, but I use it, I, I'm doing it as a history lesson for them to know who we are, how we got here, for them to have an appreciation, but also to teach them how to have vision yeah. and how to have belief and, and real understanding, hey, we haven't won every game, you know, and, uh, but, but to, to go back to that point, so October 13th, 2008, uh, middle of the season, we were, we were, it was a disappointing year, we were preseason number nine, we're three and three, and uh, come to work on a Monday and uh, had staff meeting that morning. I actually had the devotion that morning. We, we, really? we kind of did a devotion. It was actually my day. I did the devotion that morning at 7 a.m. just like, you know, any other normal day. And uh, about 10.30 that morning, we were in there. We were offensive staff prepping for the week. And um, door opens up. It's the operations guy. And he says, hey, Coach Bowden wants to see everybody in the – in the staff room, which was very unusual. We'd already had a staff meeting. We didn't, if he needed to see us, he'd just walk in the staff room, in our offense or defensive room. So just knew something was a little different. And we walk in and he comes in and, and he basically was just said, hey, look, uh, there's going to be a change today. And, 
you know, I don't really have time right now to really talk to everybody individually, but I will be, you know, getting with you. And he thanked us and all this and that. And, and then he said, hey, the AD's right here, and, and uh, I'll be talking to you all soon. And he, and he basically walks out, and the AD walks in, and, and it was, you know, it, it was an emotional moment. Everybody, you know, just in disbelief. Sure. And, uh, you know, you know these things can happen, but when you deal with it, it's it's another uh, thing. And you know, I'm I'm I was 38, and I'm like, man, you know, this is going to be. We got, I just can't believe this is happening. I'm hurting for my players and guys I've recruited and sure. seniors, and I'm thinking about my family and where am I going? And and I'd been here five and a half years at that point, and um, had turned down an opportunity. Couple of opportunities. Had opportunity to go with Nick to Alabama when he first got the job, and you know I'd stayed at Clemson, and and now we're dealing with this. But he walks in and he basically just said, "Hey," he kind of apologized to us and just said, "You know, uh, this was something he and Coach Bowden felt like was the best thing to do, and challenged us to be professional and to do the best we could, you know, uh, to do our jobs." And then he's like, uh, Dabo, you're now the head coach, and I need to see him. You call all the shots. Yeah. I need to see him off in five minutes. And you so know, he does that in front of everyone. In front of everybody, and then walks out. He was a very, he was a man of very few words. Yeah. First of all, to know Terry Don, and uh, closed the door, and there was like this. It seemed like five minutes, but it was probably only you know, 45 seconds of just you know raw emotion, yeah. people slamming notebooks, you know, yeah. you know, just getting their phones out, you know, it was just kind of, it was a weird moment, and I'm, I'm just numb. I literally, my body was just numb, like, unbelievable. And, uh, and, and you're I, 38 years old. I'm 38, and I'm thinking, my mindset um, was not good, uh, because I had been a part of one other time in my career of a fired staff where you got to kind of finish and it was miserable um and that's kind of what i'm thinking but then all of a sudden the room just kind of got quiet and everybody's you know looking at me and um and i just i didn't really know what to say i just said hey look guys i'm you know i said let me go meet with him and and uh, we'll 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 figure it out from there we'll it'll back up at some point so i i go down to his office Mm -hmm. and uh I'll never forget it because I was in a. I was, Mondays are long days for us. I mean, especially with Coach Bowden. You know, he we'd be in here early. We met at seven, and and it was we didn't practice until late at night. And and uh, I I just had on sweatpants and a sweatshirt. Uh, and you know, I don't even know if I had shaved. And I and I'm like, and I'm I ran to my office. I got a notebook, and I called my wife down literally walking down the hall and I said I told her what happened I didn't want her to hear from anybody else I said hey we're gonna let coach Bowden go and she starts crying and and I said well it gets worse I'm gonna be the interim (laughs) it gets worse she's like oh god you know and I and I I, you know and and again my mindset was this is fixing to be the most miserable we had seven weeks left we had an open date this is about to be a miserable seven weeks. And uh, so I go and I walk in his office. That, but that was my mentality. Okay, yeah. And I sit down with Terry Don and I walk in. He goes, hey, sit down right there. So I sit down and, and he goes, and I was just talking about this because I, I spoke at a, a big clinic this past weekend up in Connecticut Saturday night to a bunch of coaches. And, um, and this, this is, what happened to me as a coach is exactly what happened to me as a player. And I'm glad that happened to me as a player because it taught me valuable lessons that followed me through my life but I sit down and he says he says Dabo he goes he apologized he said I'm sorry for putting you in a tough position I wish I could have 
giving you a heads up, but I didn't know this was going to happen. And he tells me how it came about and, and so forth. And he goes, but you know what? He said, I, I'm really excited about this. And he goes, he said, Dad, I want to tell you something. And I'm thinking he's going to say, hey, you know, here's what I expect of you. And if you do a good job, maybe I'll get the next guy to, maybe you'll have a chance to stay with him or something. And, and instead, he goes, he goes, I've watched you for five and a half years. And he said, Dabo, you're ready for this job. And he goes, here's what I want from you. For the next seven weeks, I don't want you to be the interim head coach. I want you to be the head coach. And he goes, I want whatever, whatever it is that you think you need to do to fix us, was his term. I'm going to support you. If you need to fire the whole staff, I'm going to support wow. you. I don't care what it is. For the next seven weeks, you're the head coach. And so, and I'm sitting there. He goes, and I've watched you for five and a half years, how you handle your players, how you discipline players. I go out and watch practice. I, I, I gravitate and watch you coach, how you handle yourself in the community, your family, et cetera, et cetera, recruiting. And he goes, he goes you're ready for this job. And, uh, and he said, in fact, I'd love to see you get this job. And he goes, but, you know, I'm going to hire the best guy. He goes, but I would love to see you get this job. And he goes, now, it helps you can win a few ball games. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. I, but so I go into the meeting with one mindset, and now, I, and, I, and, and then he just basically says, you got any questions? And I'm like, and I said, I said, so, I said, well, Mr. Phillips, I appreciate that. I said, so you're telling me I can be the head coach for seven weeks? Like, he goes, I'm telling you, and he reemphasized it. Whatever you think you need to do That's for the amazing. next, I'm going to support you. And so I walk out of the meeting empowered, and I'm like, man, I, I'm like, I got a chance to do this. for. I may never get it. So I, I went to like a closet, uh, and, I, and I just, my mind was racing, and I just started writing stuff. I mean, it would be, a, it was just random sure. thoughts would pop in my head, and I would, I'd write it. And then something that might be a, a, an unrelated topic, I'd write it over here, and I just was scribbling all over my notepad. And then I, I, and then I started coming back like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and then I went and met with Brad Scott, who was one of, he was the OL coach at the time. And, and because I, I was, I knew I was going to have to make a couple of tough decisions early if we were going to have a chance and how I was going to want to structure things. And, and uh, so, you know, it was amazing because sometimes it's, it's, it's a, it's a blessing to not know certain things. And, and I was just, you know, rolling on, passion and adrenaline and and I it was I had prepared for a long time yeah and, I, and that's one of the things I tell people is the lessons I learned as a player and a coach you know same thing in 1990 red shirt sophomore hadn't played come to practice on a Tuesday I'm on the on the scout team and next thing you know they say hey coach McCorvey won't see you over on the offense field and I'm like what did I miss class I don't know what happened and I go <laughs> over there and, and on a Tuesday and he goes hey I'm tired of all these guys he goes, I'm going to give you a shot today. If you do well, you're playing on Saturday. I'd played in one game at that point in my career. Wow. And, and um, I went in, changed jerseys, and, and played that weekend and went on, lettered three years and never missed another game, earned a scholarship, the whole deal. And then fast forward, come to work October, <laughs> right. and, hey, boom, here you go. The lessons I learned from that is you never know who's watching. Yeah. You know, you know, you, you, and so just be great. Just, just be great at whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. Just be great. Just bloom where you're planted is what I always say. If you're yep. the, if you're the last GA, if you're this and that, be the best one. Whatever it is you're doing, and uh, people will pay attention to that, and they will notice. 
you know, by the quality of your work and, and the passion of your work. And then the next part is prepare for your opportunity. Yeah. You may not ever get it, but right, be better be prepared uh, uh, without an opportunity than to not be prepared with one. Right. So, so it, 09 happens yeah. in that fall. How do those seven weeks pan yeah. out? Yeah, so, so 08, we're in 08, 08 season, so, yeah. so we go four and two. So, so we lose the first week in a, in a close game, controversial call at the end, terrible call I might have had on my hold <laughs> in my center, uh, but, it, but, it, but, it, but we, it was magical. You know, and we, we did a lot of things that week. I literally, I mean, I, how we dress, dress, how we travel, how we practice, uh, created all in, created the Tiger Walk, all in like four days. I'd never run down the hill. I mean, it was just a mad, and, and you could just feel. So then we had an open date, and then we go to Boston, and, and we win in an epic game, unbelievable fourth quarter win, and it was my first win ever as a coach, and it was, you thought we won the national championship, right. but the team was coming together. But we go four and two, we beat South Carolina, and we get the Gator Bowl. And, but they, when we beat South Carolina, I pretty much knew I was gonna get the job. And yeah. so I get the job, so 09, now I get a chance to actually have a, an off season and yeah. a spring and a summer and like most normal, you know, like, and have a prep for a season. And, and um, it, it was amazing, and that team was awesome. I signed my first class February of 09, signed 12 guys, the dandy dozen is what I called them. <laughs> 12 guys, and all 12 of them graduated, all 12 of them helped, kind of like, you know, the 12 disciples, if you will. So I tell <laughs> our guys, great. they were the forefathers the of our yeah. program. You know, I, yeah. got, I, I got Taj Boyd to come, and the rest of them were just kind of guys. And, but all of them were so impactful in us building the culture of the program. Yeah. Yeah. They helped me, you know, and so I, I walk in in the beginning in 09, so now it's January. I got my first team meeting and, and, and my first full staff meeting. I get the staff together the way I want it, and here we go. And, and um, you know, I was like, we gotta have, here, you know, you, here's the vision yeah. Of the yep. of who's this is who we're going to be like as the leader, you got to be able to articulate. How did you articulate that when you're talking to that first team, yeah. your yeah. first signees? How did you articulate that? Yeah, to them? Well, it started with the staff when, when sure. I first first got my staff together that late December, and I had everybody together because I, I, they they need to know like here's the vision of the program, here's the core values. This is what we're going to be about. This is this is not what we do and how we do it, but it, most importantly, this is why we do what we do. And I need everybody to understand that. And, and, and then we're, and then, so then I, I kind of articulate that to the staff, and then I met with my seniors of that 09 team. Mm -hmm. And none of these guys came to Clemson for me to be their head coach. Right. And so and that's what was so, that's why I love that team of 08 and 09 and 10, because those guys didn't come here for me to be their head coach. But, and they, but they bought in and they helped us start to build a culture and, and plant the seeds. So here's something I want to ask you, and I'm sorry to interrupt sorry. you, but when you inherit these guys, yep. or really they inherited you, yep. what do you say to them to get them to buy in? Yep. What is it that you, I'm, I'm asking well, you specifically, because I'm thinking about the guy who's sitting at home watching sure. this on YouTube, and he's going, I've just been promoted to sales manager, I've just been made executive VP, and all these people are looking at me, what is it that you say to them? Yeah, well that first team, so first the first team meeting in 08, October 13th at four o'clock that afternoon, because you know, we're gonna have to practice. The coach is fired <laughs> that day, yeah. you know, it's all over the news, families, emotions, you know, this and that. Now, the, the, the plus for me is 
I had a lot of great relationships already in place. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I just walked right. off the street. And I was always intentional in my relationships, not just with the guys I coached, but guys I recruited, guys across. And, and that was something that Terry Don, I think, recognized. Mm -hmm. and, and so the guys were comfortable with me, but it was a very emotional thing. And so I literally, in that four o'clock meeting, it was just me and them. I didn't have anybody else in the room. And basically I told them, I felt like it was important for them to know what the AD had told me. Mm -hmm. and, and that, hey, this is for the next seven weeks, I'm gonna be the head coach. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of, I, I laid out what the expectations were. And I said, you know, I told them, I said, I know I don't have a very good shot at this job. I got like pocket nines, all right? <laughs> but for the next seven weeks, I'm all in. And I was like, and so here's what that means. And I said, it's, it's about a commitment to being and doing your best in everything that you do. And I, it's about being excellent in everything that you do. And I was like, guys, we're going to do things differently for the next seven weeks. We're going to travel differently. We're going to practice differently. We're going to meet differently. We're going we're to act differently. We're gonna, and, I, and I said, now listen, none of y'all came here for me to be your head coach. And I understand that. All right? We can't do anything about We're three and three. And two of those wins are against one AA teams. Mm. And everybody's, there's a lot of disappointment. We were preseason number nine. I said, we can't do anything about that. But we can start right now and we can change the ending. Yeah. And you seniors, you know, a lot of you guys are going to go on this and that. It doesn't have to end this way. And you have the opportunity to learn a valuable lesson in life. All right? Yeah, you're not going to win a national championship. You're not going to win the ACC. But you could help us turn this program back in the right direction. All right? And I, and I don't have a great shot at the job. Okay? But I got a shot. And, 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 and so here's the deal. We're going to practice at 6 o'clock. And, and I laid out kind of some of the expectations. And I said, if you don't want to do that, it's not a problem, all right? You, you're, you, can, you can clean your locker out, next guy will keep you, your scholarship's good, there's no problem, no hard feelings. But if you show up to practice tonight, this is gonna be the standard, and this is what everybody's gonna be held accountable to. Yeah. And we're gonna have a team of accountability, we're gonna be team, and I just kinda laid those things out, and they all showed up at six o'clock. And, and, and so we kinda started with that, that's where it started, and then with the staff, and then I've called that first group and when I've now, now, you know, you tie it in the middle, let it hang at both ends. You get a situation like that. You got, you know, your middle of the season, seven weeks. It's not like you got an off season. Right. It's not like I get a chance to go put my staff together. Right. You kind of got what you got. And so now we, when we get the team like set in January, I felt like it was important. Once I, I said, this is what we're going to be about. We're going to graduate our players. All right. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long I'm going to be the head coach, but we're going to graduate our players. We're gonna, we're gonna have a program that equips these young people with tools for life, right? real tools for life. We're gonna make sure our guys have a great college experience and then we're gonna win. And everybody in here needs to understand it's in that order. And every decision we make, everything we do is about the players and it's about making sure we're living out the vision of the program, period, the end. We're never gonna put winning first. All right, we're gonna serve their heart, not their talent. Mm. This, and I started laying these things out and and so then I get with the players and the seniors, and this, this is the first senior class of 2009, my first team, and it was C.J. Spiller and some of those guys. And, and I said, all right, I met with them in the room. I said, and I told them, here's the vision. This is what our football pro, this is what, this is what we're going to be about as long as I'm the head coach. And I said, and, and, then here's our, and then here's our five team goals. We don't have many goals, guys. And I went through our goals. 
You know, we're going to win the we want to win the opener. We want to we want to win the division. We want to win the state championship. We want to uh, uh, win the ACC. We want to win the bowl game. That was kind of our and I said these, but but I was like, you know what? I said we're gonna we're gonna these are our team goals. Here's the vision of the program. We're gonna graduate. You guys, we're gonna create a, a Paul journey, what we call a player relations, a player development, micro internships, all these things. We're gonna we're gonna develop a a, a program that's gonna challenge you, stretch you, grow you as a man and help you transition from football before you ever transition from football. And then we're going to have some fun doing it. Yeah. All right, we're going to change college football. I mean, I said this, you know, I said, we're going to build a program. We're going to build the model program in college football. And I told the guys, I said, guys, I told them the things I didn't like, things I experienced as a player, things I experienced as a coach. And I was like, we're going to do it differently. And if it doesn't work, I can ride off into the sunset. Yeah. But this is how we're going to do it. And so then I meet with those seniors and we sit in the room and I, I laid it all out for them. And I said, so here's what I need. I need some guiding principles a little bit, like, like you know, some kind of bumpers, like, because I know we're going to get off track. So we need something. And I wanted to empower those guys yep. a little bit. So we sat down and we're like, okay. So we wrote the Clemson Commandments. There's 16 Clemson Commandments. And, 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 and so we're like, and I said, here's where we're going to start. Because y'all know the first thing is we're going to graduate our players. All right? We're going to do that, guys. We're going to go to class. We're going to grad. So I said, so number Did one. Did you get any pushback from that from any of those seniors? No, no. I okay. said, so the number one, they're all sitting there. Number one Clemson commitment. I put, go to class. Mm -hmm. Can't graduate if you don't go to class. That's a fact. And, and C.J. Spiller, I believe, was the one. He said, well, coach, he said, you know, he said, we can go to class, but, you know, we could be asleep. We could have on our headphones. I went, you're right. We're going to go to class and be engaged. And then we just started writing these things. And next thing you know, we finished. And they, they've not, just so you know, nothing has changed since that 09 team. Nothing. That's not incredible. One, not one Clemson commandment. The only thing that changed on our team goals, instead of win the bowl game, I had to, after 15, because <laughs> I always told them from day one, I said, hey, I know some of these things went done. I said, but if we ever achieve those things, we'll win it all. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and, and in the 15, we did. We won yeah. the bowl game, but they changed the rules on me. <laughs> and, we went to the, and it was when the playoff yeah. game, and we went to the national championship and lost in that first national championship. So, and I came back, and I took ownership. I told the staff and the team, I said, we, that's my fault. I said, every day y'all come in here and y'all have seen those goals. And I was like, win the bowl game. And I said, that's all my fault. Mm -hmm. I, said, I said, we're going to change it. And I said, forever I've said, if we hit all five, we'll win it all. So I changed it. Instead of win the bowl game, win the closer. Yeah. So win the opener, win the closer. And in 16, we hit all five That's and we won amazing. it all. So within months, you've put together quite the plan. Yeah. That you start to lay out, that you start to communicate. But I had put that together for years. It, it sounded like you had been I, For prepped. years. I, I had been That working, wasn't totally off the cuff. I had been working since, when I, literally, from the time I got in coaching in 1993 and knew that this was my calling and what I wanted to do, I started preparing to be a head coach. Yeah. Learning writing things down, ooh, don't like that, like that. Hey, if, if, you know, if my if one day book, you know, how would I do academics? How would I do discipline? Yeah. What would my staff look like? What would be my offensive, defensive, especially? How would I practice? What would, what would be my recruiting right. philosophy right. or whatever? I started putting that together. And uh, in, in fact, when I sat down that, and that Sunday after that South Carolina game in 08, yeah. well, I had to go interview with the AD and, and I went in there as if, I, they had never met me. And I laid out, I gave them my, and I had worked on this thing late at night and different sure. things just to, to put it together. Like, this is who I am. 
right? And this is what we're going to be. And uh, I, I think that even though he would have hired me without that, I think it just kind of further solidified that, hey, we had a plan. We weren't flying by the seat of right. our pants. You were prepared. Prepared. So you go in obviously having to be the head of and the leader of all of this. Who do you go and try to get support, mentorship, leadership from to support you yeah. in this well, big, big step? Yeah, well, first and foremost, the man upstairs. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that, and that week, so I get the job on a Monday as an interim. I don't sleep Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, it's just a blur. And oh, by the way, you got a game on Saturday. You know, I mean, it's just, it was just, yeah. and it's Paul Johnson, he runs the triple option, and he's his first year in the league. I know nothing about the triple option. And it's just, it's just kind of overwhelming. So I'm coming in, it's Thursday morning, it's about 5.30 in the morning. I, I couldn't sleep, and I'm, I'm coming into the parking lot in our old building over there. And the night before, I had moved into Tommy's office. Because I was originally just going to stay in my office. And, and then, but I realized I couldn't get anything done. It was just kind of, it was so, so I'd taken it late Wednesday night and put some boxes in his office and kind of just went back there. And he had a little door right off the parking lot there. And so uh, that morning, that Thursday morning, and I, I literally, I was overwhelmed. I literally, I, I was tired, I was emotional, I was overwhelmed, I was fearful. And, um, and I, just, I just had prayed driving in that day you know, just for strength and just wisdom and courage, and, you know, and, and I'll never forget because I pull in the parking lot and, um, and I'd, I'd never parked in the head coach's spot, you know, right up there by his door. I'm like, but I, that night before, so I'm like, well, I'll move over. There's nobody in the parking lot. And, I, and I, I'll never forget, I'm turning in. I'd just been praying and, and, I, and, I, and I'm worn out. And I pull into the parking spot and my lights hit the curb. And um, I, the, I never even been paying attention to it before, but the curbs were numbered. There was a number on each curb. And my lights hit the parking spot, and it's 88 was the curb, and, which was my college number. And I just, I just remember just putting the car in park right there, and I just cried. And I was just, because it was like, it was like God just saying, hey, just trust me. Yeah. I got you yeah. back. And so, you know, my number one person I go to for mentorship and guidance and strength and wisdom is 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 God yeah. and um, and then coach Stallings was a great mentor to me I spent seven years with him in Alabama I played for him and obviously it, and he was excited for me and and uh, never forget it when he called me in to offer me the job and he's just like hey you know because uh, I was looking for a job I'd finished my master's and and he shuffled his staff and he goes hey I need a young guy on my staff everybody's getting a little older he goes and hey you I know you'll do a good job for me. He goes, now I'm gonna pay you thirty-eight thousand. That's way more than you're worth. <laughs> he, he said, but I know you'll do a great job. And he goes, now I'm gonna hire you to coach my ends. He called them ends. Uh, so if you were a wide out or a tight end, you were an end. Yeah. So I'm coaching wide outs and tight ends at 26 years old, older staff, and uh, you know, at my alma mater. Sure. He could have hired. He could have hired anybody. Right. Yeah. And he and he hires me. And that always resonated with me. And he was like, hey, look, man, you want a mine. And I, I watched as a player. I, he doesn't hire me if I didn't do a great job for him as a player, as a GA, right. you know, all these things. And I tell coaches that all the time, you know. And, and I never – and I, I'm like, wow. So now I got this job. And uh, so then I go on, work for him. Then he ends up retiring. 
but we had a lifelong, we've had a life, in fact, he's coming to town this week. We're doing a big thing Thursday night here in Clemson, uh, for a big fundraiser together. And, and he's just been an unbelievable mentor. He tells me the truth. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's given me some really, really good advice at times when I needed it at some critical times. Uh, and, you know, and he'll tell me exactly how he feels. And I don't always agree with him, but, but, he, but I, I can always count on he's going to be genuine and authentic. But after he was gone and I got exposed to some other things, I learned, I told, I learned way more from Coach Sawins after he was gone because I didn't really know anything. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. When you think back on your time with him, particularly when you were coaching with him, if you were going to boil down two or three things that were takeaways as far as how you run a program mm -hmm. functionally, because yeah. I, I think the character and the way he believed in you, all those things are foundational mm -hmm. and they're, mm -hmm. that's the bottom line, obviously. Yep. Yep. But functionally, what did you learn from him that you carry with you even now. Yeah, so how he managed the staff okay. uh, was, was, was big. And I'll never forget it. You know, it was, it was uh, late one night, and I'm in my, my office. I have my own office, and I got my <laughs> office. And I'm, I'm in there, man, and I'm just I'm so fired up. It's spring ball. And, I mean, I'm great. I've, I've already graded all the practice tape, all this. I've gone through it. I've got all my notes. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm getting ready for the staff meeting the next day. You know, I've gone through the one. I got my notes for next day's meetings. And I'm working on some recruiting stuff. I'm trying to go through some things. I mean, there's just always so much to do. And, I, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just having a ball, you know. And all of a sudden, I feel this presence kind of in the door. And it's Coach Stallings. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it because it's kind of late. late. You're yeah. burning and I, and, I, and yeah. I'm out, you know, everybody You're else grinding. is gone. Everybody else is gone. And I'm, I'm still up there working. And, and I'm thinking, oh, this is good. You know, he, he's like, and, and he's like, hey, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, Coach, man, oh, I mean, you scare me. I'm like, oh, Coach, I'm. Oh, I'm just getting ahead a little bit, doing some recruiting. I just wanted to be ready for the staff meeting in the morning. And, you know, just went back through the scale and da 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 da, da. Just, I'm just going through this whole deal. And he's looking at me with a stone face. And he said, hey, let me tell you something. If I ever catch you up here like this again, I'll fire you. Really? He said, you got a bride? I went, yes, sir. He goes, hey, man, you need to get home to your bride. He said, if you can't get what we need to get done in the time I give you, hey, I need to get somebody else to do this job. So I don't care when you come in here. Hey, man, you need to go home. This is time for you to be with your bride. And it was like. It throws you back. Yeah, you know, and, and, uh, and that, but that stuck with me my entire life. He was, he was very big on family and, uh, and, and, and not doing too much. Hmm. And again, it goes back to keeping your priorities in order. Uh, and for me, it's, it's just keeping my eyes on the Lord and, and seeking his, his direction, and my family, and football. And I just, I, just, I just try not to compromise that. And uh, having a good circle of people around you and circle of accountability around you that, that holds you accountable. But, but to, to answer your question, I almost got out of coaching in 06, all right? I was at Clemson, I was an assistant. I was down in Florida. And I was really struggling. Oh man, I was just—I spoke in Macon, Georgia last night at a big FCA event, and, and I was just talking about this. It's fresh in my mind, but I—I I, I was really struggling. I was in Jacksonville, recruiting. I was on the road for about a month. May is a heavy recruiting time, and my oldest son Will was probably—I um, 
I don't know, seven or something like that, seven or eight, and then Drew and then Clay was young. And I call home and I'm on the phone with Kath and Will had just hit a home run on his little t-ball game or whatever. And Drew's in and she's, it's just chaos at home. And, and, and I, I was missing so much stuff. And it, and it was something I always promised myself because, you know, my dad had to miss a lot for me growing up. And I just was like, you know, man, it, it was just bothering me. And I felt like I was sacrificing my family for my job. And um, I told Kath, I said, I just, I can't do this anymore. And I said, I just, I just, I, I was just guilty and, and just convicted of that. So I, I, I come up with this big speech and I, I, br I get back home and I line up Will, Drew, and Clay, and Kath was on board. Got them on the bed, little legs are hanging over the bed, looking, they're all looking at me, and I, and I told them, I said, listen, I just want y'all to know that y'all are the most important thing to me, and, and you know, Daddy can do a lot of things, and, and I've, I've decided that I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna be a coach anymore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take another job, and, and I am, that I can be home, I can work, I can be home on the weekends, I can be home at night, and I'm gonna be able to coach your teams, and, and I'm not gonna, it's really bothering me that I'm missing all this stuff. And they're all looking at me going, you know, like, like they got three eyeballs or something. And, 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 and so I get done with my big speech and uh, Will and Drew, they kind of take it and they're like, but daddy, if you don't coach, we don't get to meet the players. <laughs> and if you don't coach, we don't get to come to practice and ride the bus and go to the bowl game. And they start, they, and all of a sudden, God used my children mm. to convict me that, hey, I got you doing what, what you're called to do, and you need to trust that. And, he, and what he taught me and what I learned from that is, is, is it's not the quantity of time, it's the quality of time. Yeah. There's a lot of people who have a lot of time, and they don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't still spend the time. And I don't like to say spend time, it's invest time. Yeah. You know, so, so that, just getting creative uh, with the quality of time. And so I had a piece about it. And then when I became the head coach, well, then that was a game changer. Because the greatest part of my job is I get to set the philosophy. I get to set the tone. Yeah. I get to turn the thermostat up yeah. or down. And I get to, I get to uh, articulate what the expectations are. And for me, you know, I get to be the type of head coach, uh, it, you know, to my assistants and mentor them, you know, because I know they struggle with the same things that I did. Sure. And so, so it's, it's, and that's, you don't see a lot of turnover here at Clemson. And that's why, yeah. because it is, a, it is not something that we just talk about. We live it every day. It's a family atmosphere. Wives are involved, kids are involved. They're at practice every day. It's just a very uh, uh, inclusive place where everybody's involved and it's a small town. And uh, so it's, we've been intentional. I said, okay, when your kid turns nine, they're on the sideline for home games. Mm. You know, I mean, like, kids could never be on the sideline. And so now all of a sudden I'm the head coach and, you know, I'm like, and so they've been on the sidelines their whole life. Yeah. So just involving our kids, family night every that, Wednesday. That way the family doesn't start to resent right. football They're and the team part and the it. coach and everything. They yes. get to be a part of it. Yes. You see that so many times in ministry where the families who integrate ministry and family do much better. The families who, you know, if, if, and typically what happens is the wife resents the ministry and so that gets passed down to the kids. Yeah. Whereas if they're all engaged and involved in it, 
then there's no resentment. And it's just, it, it becomes a support group. They're all together. Right. And all these kids get together. They're playing with each and other. And they start to enjoy the stuff like the team fun. buses yes. and meeting the team and yes. being on the sideline. And, and they all know we got to grind. Sure. But so camp, so we, when we do camp, you know, every meal, all the fa- all through camp, all of our families come and eat every. They can eat every meal. Kids, everybody. So which is also great for the players. It's great for and the. I know and, I'm and not so telling that, you well, that no, you don't know, that, but I, mean, I want our players yeah. to see us as they, they get a vision of what dads. can be in their lives. And it also makes you, as a coach, when your kids are around all the time, to be mindful of your actions, yeah. and what you say. You know, yeah, is, it so li- is it li- aligning with what you're trying to teach at home? Imagine that. You know, yeah. and so so it's it's just been it's all intentional and it's all purposeful that way. You said something a few minutes ago that I want to go back to that I think is really important. You said we're going to coach their hearts and yeah. not their talent. Yeah. Talk about that because I think that's that's a principle that is translatable to any arena oh, yeah. in any yeah. field. Talk about that. Well, we say we're going to serve their yeah. heart, I'm sorry. not their talent. You know, we, we talk about servant leadership here because there's a difference. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's got to be a chain of command. There's got to be leaders. But I, I look at it. We work together and uh, we, we all are on the same page. We start over every year. You know, and we spend five days together as a staff as if we just met. Mm-hmm. And I will go through the entire program, the A to Z of, of who we are, why we do it that way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera to make sure that we're on the same page. We're always trying to reinvest, refocus, refuel, recharge, because we don't ever want to plateau, yep. right, ever. And, uh, and so it, we just challenge ourselves that way all the time. But, but the philosophy of the program, if you had to kind of, you know, one worder is, hey, we're going to serve their heart, not their talent. Yep. And what that means is, first of all, you can't serve someone's heart if you don't have a relationship with them. Yep. This is a relationship-driven program. You know, we all know that there's results and things like that, and there's a process in place, but we're not result-driven, we're not process-driven, we're relationship-driven. And, and so to me, I hire people first, coaches second. I, I recruit people first, players second. There's a million good coaches that can come in here and draw up stuff and this and that. Good coaches who love their wives, who are very uh, uh, focused and passionate about impacting their young players' lives and equipping them and really love them and, 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 and that and want to mold and mentor them in the positive way that are more than a scoreboard, uh, then the pool gets smaller. Same thing with players. There's a lot of great players, but great players that value education, that want structure, that want discipline, that want accountability, that want family, uh, the pool gets smaller. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we're very intentional that way, but, but when I say serve their heart, you got to know them, got to know them. And then, you know, if, if they're not doing, if, you know, if they're out smoking dope or skipping class or whatever, well, if you're serving their talent, you're going to play them because they can help you win. If you're serving their heart, you're going to discipline them. Yeah. The greatest form of love is discipline. And uh, a lot of people see Coach Sweeney and we're having fun, we're a good time, but these guys, they know I'm, I'm, this is not an easy place. Right. This is a very tough place to be, all right? But what's encouraging to me and what's so uh, awesome to me is there's a lot of incredibly talented young men out there that want discipline, that want structure. Because we're, we're, we're so transparent in the recruiting process. I don't want anybody coming here going, whoa, man, they serious about this class stuff. 
You know, so I spend most of my time trying to talk people out of coming to Clemson. And so what's exciting, we've had two decommitments in six years. Unheard of. We hardly offer anybody. We, we have some of the fewest offers. I mean, you have our peers will offer 400 kids. We'll offer 90. You know, we just don't offer many people. Uh, and, and, and our brand has grown. And then I don't offer freshmen and sophomores. Mm -hmm. You know, our brand has kind of grown that way, and people know who we are. And, again, we're very transparent. So when a kid comes to Clemson, he knows what he's getting into. Yeah. And he's been vetted. And he's and the last step is Coach Sweeney. And the coaches cringe every time it gets to me <laughs> because they know I am going, I'm going, I'm going to be brutally honest. Yeah. We don't promise anybody anything. You're going to get what you earn. Yeah. You're going to earn it through your effort, your accountability, doing what's right, nourishing the concept of team and family. And, and that's just the way it is. And so, and then I talk to them about commitment. And if you don't want that, then, then let's just keep recruiting. Don't come. Yep. Don't come. And, uh, and so it, that, that is how we've gone about our business. And so serving their heart, all right, some, it may cost you a game, but that's okay. Right. If you're, it, you know, are, are, you, what, do you, what do you stand for? What are you about? And you're either going to compromise, and so many people compromise, you know, they, they will say, hey, this is the way we're going to do it, and then they compromise. And then the lines get grayed and blurred, and, and you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you know, so to me, it's the little things. Muhammad Ali said, it's not the mountains ahead that wear you out, it's the pebble in your shoe. Yeah. <laughs> gum pebble in your shoe yeah. will wear you out. So that's why I'm always telling the staff, hey, that's a pebble in my shoe. It's the little things. Yep. And so, uh, you know, George, George uh, 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 Washington Carver, he said, if you do, and this was day one of building the program, this was the first slogan I put up, if you do the common things in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. And this was in 09. Mm -hmm. And I said, guys, we're going to build our program by doing the common things in an uncommon way, how we practice, how we clean the locker room. When we get off buses, is there any trash left on the bus? When we go to a movie on Friday night, is the movie, movie when we leave movie theaters, we have blowers, <laughs> and we blow the theater out, and yeah. then we tell them, "Thank you for letting yeah, us come yeah, to your movie," yeah. and we leave. But but it's but that's how we've built our that's program. How you eliminate entitlement. That's how you no keep entitlement. All that stuff. Yeah. There's at, no entitlement. At bay. Okay, I have to ask you a question. I just know enough Dabo. I'm 53, and coming from a, a divorced home, and I had my dad passed away my last year of college. I had a very superficial relationship from the day he left to the day he died, he never reprimanded me. Mm. And, I, and forget me, yeah. I've just seen too many men, women, and, and other, I've seen too many people who had either an estranged or a hard relationship with their dad who did not have the take that you have on authority and accountability and loving hearts, yeah. serving hearts. I would love to, to pick your brain a little bit on that because I think there's so many people who are gonna watch this who candidly are wounded sure and they're leading out of that woundedness talk about how you because you had a hard relationship with your dad oh yeah it wasn't good it wasn't great you were very close to your mom she she went on staff at Alabama I think while you were playing there no no she just moved in she with moved me. in with yeah. you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so you know I know you and your mom were very close she moved you know to Alabama to Tuscaloosa yeah. when you were playing there yeah. But talk about how you process through that relationship with your dad to where it didn't become a hindrance. Yeah. Well, I think um, I just was talking about this at, at a group down in Georgia uh, last night. Um, 
you know, I, I was an at-risk kid. If I was growing up today, I would be labeled. You know, today's world likes to label people. Sure, sure. And I would be labeled at-risk. Mm-hmm. Parents were married at 18, no education. Nobody in my family ever had a college degree. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, older brothers, nobody. And uh, you just kind of went to work and, you know, just blue-collar people and, and addiction in the home, violence in the home, divorced parents. Uh, literally homelessness in that, you know, not that we were on the street, but when you're having to live at somebody else's place because you don't have a home, well, that's homeless. And, uh, and, and that's kind of how it was for me, sleeping on the floor my senior year. Um, and, but uh, the game changer for me, and this is kind of, this is how I've lived my life and what I try to share with people, because how, how, do, how, do, how does this kid, like, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be where I am based on all the dysfunction and things that I had to overcome. Poor relationship with my father who's an alcoholic and it's not good. And uh, two things. One, I got saved when I was 16. Mm-hmm. A guy, just a youth football coach, leads me. He, he starts sowing seeds into me, you know, starts an FCA program at my high school. I start going to the FCA program, start learning scripture and some of the stories of the Bible start coming alive with fellowship, fellowship through music and, you know, start talking and community and I'd never really experienced that. I didn't have a relationship with Christ and, um, and I, we'd go to church every now and then and we believed in God, but I didn't have a, I didn't know anything about a relationship. I didn't know what that meant. And so God put people in my life and I submitted to that. I got saved, so that was number one. That was February 3rd, 1986, 34 years ago. Yeah. I met the Lord. And I went home that night and, I, and I, I wrote in my Bible, you know, I dedicated my life to the Lord. My life will never be the same. I signed it. And about every five or six years since I've written a little passage, I just write an update, kind of where I am in there. And, and, and my life was complete chaos. In fact, at that point, it got worse. That's when my parents divorced. That's when we're on the run. But, but what happened is I had change inside. Yeah. And, and my, my circumstances didn't change, but I had a peace and a hope that I'd never had. And what, what God will do for you, what a relationship with Jesus will do, was it'll help you, it'll help you dream and think and believe beyond your circumstances. Yeah. And it'll give you a vision, you know, even though it may not make sense, and, and that's kind of how it was for me. And, I, and I've kind of held on to Jeremiah 29, 11 for a long time. For I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You know, like, hey, Dabo, I know the plans I have for you, buddy. Yep. You know, and it doesn't look good, but it's, it's, they're plans for good, not disaster. And I, and I as a young person, kind of hung on to that. And, and what I tell people, what I've learned through my life is if there's really hope in the future, then there's power in the present to deal with whatever you need to deal with. And that power comes from a relationship with Christ. And so that's, that's where, number one with me. The second thing is my coaches, my teachers. I had so many people, you, there's just random people out there that, and sometimes they think that they're insignificant and they don't matter, but everybody has a circle. And every day you have the opportunity to impact someone. And you may never know, you know, you don't always get, you don't get the fruit the day you plant the seed, right? And, and, and so, you know, my coaches, their encouragement, 
you know, people's belief. They knew what was going on with my life and the situation, and my coaches just kind of put their arms around me, and they created a work ethic in me and a toughness and a belief, and, and they made sure I had what I needed. And, and then I had a counselor that said, hey, you know, you can go to Alabama. Here's this thing called a Pell Grant. I didn't know what a Pell Grant was. Hey, you can get a Pell Grant, and you can get a student loan. If you really want to go to this is how you can do it. And I'm like, really? Sign me up, and I'm like, let's go. And, and I move off to Tuscaloosa in the, in the summer of, of 88. But I, I had, yes, I had a lot of dysfunction. I was mad. There was a little time, I mean, that, that I didn't want it to, like anybody, I had the same emotions. And, but what I realized when I got to college was I was hurting myself. Forgiveness was an issue. And, and all that was was damaging me. And I eventually got to the point where I just gave it all to God. And I just, you know, and my dad slowly got better. Like he, you know, he went from being drunk every day to he'd only drink on Tuesdays and Saturdays. He started applying discipline yeah, to his yeah. life. And so if it was a Tuesday or Saturday, I just didn't talk to him, yeah. you know. But any other day, he'd be great. And I just, but I just gave it all to God and I quit judging my dad. And I tr quit trying to be God. Because to me, I used to get so mad because I just wanted to fix it. I'm a fix-it guy, and I wanted to fix it. I'd be just one like, why do you do this? You know, we don't, you know, just, it doesn't have, da, 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 you know. And it just, you know, but he had, he had, he was, had his own struggles. And eventually, I let all that go. And I just, I just loved him anyway. And I forgave him. And, and then over time, our relationship changed. And the last 15 years of his life, we were best friends. I uh, miss him every day. He met the Lord. He was saved. I mean, he... He, he, was, he was awesome. He quit drinking, quit smoking. Uh, everybody loved my dad. My dad was, was a, a beautiful man, would give you the shirt off his back. And he had his little, little appliance business that people would come in there. And most of the time, they didn't want anything. They just want to come talk to Herbal and, uh, and hear, get his input on something. And, uh, but it's amazing to see that transformation. You couldn't have got my mom and dad in the same county. Now, all of a sudden, they're all in Clemson, South Carolina, staying in our house with their new spouses and they're, they're all, yeah. we're all one big happy family. Only God can do that. Yeah. But to answer your question, how I overcame that, it was, it was my faith. Mm -hmm. uh, when you, when you, if you don't have a spiritual foundation to your life, you're, 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 cause nothing can fulfill you. Right. You know, you're going to chase, 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 chase. I don't care. And I'm money sooner or later. It, it's just not going to fulfill you. Yeah. It's going to always come up empty. So my faith, push me through and, and help me to make, you know, Bible says my word is a lamp to your, to your path, right? And when you think about a lamp, it's just enough light to just see, like you're laying beside the bed, right? He don't give us bright light for five or 10 years, thank God, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but, you know, I just kind of just kept moving and kept one step at a time. And, but the coaches in my life, the teachers, key people in the community, that would come up and they could just almost read my mind. They'd be like, hey man, you know, I had 28 points one night in, in, in the uh, uh, region tournament and I got there nobody there to see me, There's no, which was not unusual. And I had a, a guy in the community call me the next day and he just said, hey, I just want to tell you, man, you were awesome last night and this and that, and, you know, and just, and here's what, you know, and just, but people speaking life into me, people encouraging, people painting a picture of yeah. what I could do. And, and uh, so, so I was able to live that out and go to school and get my degree 
And, and I never, ever thought about coaching, ever. And so my goal was to be a pediatrician. I was a pre-med major for three years, biology major for three years. I'm going to be a pediatrician. And the reason I want to be a pediatrician is because I went to, the only doctor I knew till I was 25 years old was my pediatrician. I went to him when I was 25, Dr. Goldblatt, but he was always happy and he always made me feel better. <laughs> and, and, he, and, and I knew he made a great living. And I'm like, I'm going to be a pediatrician. I'm going to make a great living. I like to work. And, and what's crazy is, and this was, this was a struggle with me at Alabama because when I, when I, when I, I made a decision Going into my fourth year, I was like, this just isn't what I want to do. Mm. I wasn't passionate about it. I don't know how I'm going to go to school for 10 more years. And it, and it was like I was giving up on my dream. And, and I tell my players this all the time. I was just telling them the other day, you know, God gives us – my dream was play in the NFL, play, be a pediatrician, or play in the NBA. And, and God gives us these dreams, and sometimes it's not but – it, but it's not like it's a false dream. Sometimes he gives us these dreams to put us – to ch so we'll chase that dream. And we'll be on the path that we need so that he can equip us and, and put the right people on our path so that ultimately we can find our purpose that he's created us for. Don't you think a lot of times, too, it's to expose you yes. to, to ways of life no and to question. parts of the world that you never dreamed imagined no or imagined, that you never would have seen if you hadn't been on that path if, at if that I moment? If I hadn't thought I could go play in the NFL, I don't have the guts and the courage to walk on in Alabama. And to go through what I went through, because I had this belief, I had this dream, I had this, and I'm chasing. And, and eventually, I find, I'm like, I'm not good enough playing the NFL, but man, it exposed me to yeah. all these things. And, and, and I'm, so I, I'm still kind of a pediatrician. I work with young people, and I try to make them <laughs> yeah. better. You make Most them better, exactly. That's yeah. What I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. And, uh, but it's amazing to look at how God orchestrates things like that. And so, you know, for me, and, I, and so he equipped me. So then I become a coach. It just happened. Coach Stallings was like, hey, I need a GA. You start in July. You need a master's. You know, my last season there. And I didn't want him want to do it, but I couldn't tell him no. I love your Coach Stallings yeah, invitation, so I, by so the way. I, so when I, you hear that voice in the back oh, of your head yeah. for so many years, yeah, you can't great. help but come out Yeah, and, and so, I, so I get my master's. The first, my, my first week as a GA, I'm like, this is what I'm called to do. This is what it was like clarity of life. And so as I've dealt with young people over, the, over time, I've dealt with a lot of kids like me. A lot, a lot, or a lot worse than me. And sometimes you may have a kid in your office, and he's upset. You know, maybe made a bad decision or whatever. And, and I'm like, you know, and then they, they're like, Coach, you don't understand. I'm like, No, 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 no. Whoa, no, I do understand. Here's what I know. Let's don't use all of that as excuses for your poor behavior. Right. Change is within. As a man thinketh, so is he. It's not as my dad thinketh, so am I. As a man thinketh, so is he. So we got to change how you think, all right? If we're going to create the destiny that you that you that you deserve and can step into, we can't use these as excuses. We got to use those as reasons to change, to not do those things, to show up early, to to whatever. And when you got to change how people think. And so for me, I you know through faith and through other people, I just started to think differently. Life didn't really change. In fact, it was stunk, you know, on the surface. But I just had a different attitude. Yeah, and, I had yeah. a, and I had a very clear vision. You know what? If I put the work in, if I do this, I get my education. I'm, man, I'm going to be able to overcome all of these obstacles. Yeah. And, and I was never, like, jealous of somebody else. This is just, this is, God never says oops. This is what God, <laughs> this is the path he put me on. 
and he knows the hair on our head. So I don't really know why, but he does. And so having faith in that, and I've just kind of carried that with me uh, forever. So you've been on quite the path, quite the journey, a lot of milestones accomplished. And, and you've been prepared for a lot of it, pre-prepared, right? So when yep. the doors are open, you're going, where do you see yourself in the next five years? What are the next set of goals, milestones that, you know, Coach and, and Clemson yep. want to achieve? Yeah, well, for me, you know, we, we're, we just finished the transformative teens. Yeah. Uh, we transformed Clemson. Now we're into the roaring 20s and then the thrilling 30s. Uh, so hopefully I'll be around for the thrilling 30s. I don't know. And, uh, but, but the biggest thing for me is just staying true to my purpose, you know, and that was a big thing for me this year. Uh, and my purpose, uh, first and foremost, is to, is to, is to honor God mm-hmm. in everything that I do, to be a great husband, to be a great father. That's number one. And then to use the game of football to shape and impact young people's lives uh, in, a, in, a, in a powerful way. That, that truly transforms them and equips them for, for life. So when I see them at 30, they're gonna come hug my neck uh, when they think a little bit differently. And, and then to stay focused on the purpose of this program, you know, the why of our program. So uh, that's really what I think about. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't really sit around and say, okay, in five years I wanna do this, in 10 years I wanna do that. I'm just trying to be great today. What do, well, it doesn't do me really any good to think about what I'm going to do five years from now because what if I'm not here in five years? <laughs> you know, I can have all the plans I want. I just, my plan is to be great today. And, that's, I, and I, t- I challenge our guys that all the time is, you know, hey, someday, everybody talks about, hey, someday I'm going to graduate. Someday I'm getting married. Someday I'm this. Someday I'm that. Well, in order for someday to really, we just got to start stacking these todays. Yeah. And so I just want to be intentional with today. Uh, I want to stay committed to the to the purpose that that I have in life, and I want to enjoy the journey. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, for me, it's always about what's next. You know, if you walk in our team meeting every single day and for forever, it's just a huge windshield with a little rearview mirror, and and you know, it's got yesterday, it's got you know nine, ten plus win seasons, and that whatever's in the rearview mirror, it's, it's it says today. Forgetting Philippians, right? Forgetting what is behind and fixing our eyes on what is next, right? And and uh, and it's what's next, which is Monday practice. You know, let's be great today. Thanks for checking out the Spur Leadership Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, and while you're at it, leave us a review or a comment. You can reach us by email at podcast at spurleadership.com, and you can also find us on Twitter at Spur Leadership or on Facebook at Spur Leadership. I'm Mac Richard and this has been the Spur Leadership Podcast.